One of the latest and greatest video games that is available right now on the market for the Xbox and for the Sony PlayStation is the game Advanced Warfare. It's the latest in the Call of Duty series. And my, my boys are into this, the, this series of games. And for the last couple years, I've actually even went with them to the midnight release parties at GameStop. And we've had a good time. It's the latest game in the Call of Duty series. And the game depicts warfare situations. In Advanced Warfare and the other Call of Duty games, such as Ghosts and Black Ops, you get to choose your weapon. One of the things you do when you turn the game on, right? I'm not too familiar with it. I tried it once and I was like, I got killed like in two seconds, okay? So I, I, I wasn't any good and I just set it down and I said, you know what, this is not for me. But in the game, you get to choose your weapon. You get to pick from a series of weapons that you have. You get to, you get to choose. You get to choose if you want an AK-47, maybe you want an M16, or maybe you want an MP5, or there's a whole host of other weapons that you can choose. But not only do you get to choose your weapon, but you get to choose what's called your setup, your weapon setup. And so you get to choose your, your grips, you get to choose your sights, you get to choose your other add-ons and whatever. And so you can uh, prepare your weapon so that you can do the best that you can do uh, for the, 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 the particular warfare that you're going in. And this is the same thing in real warfare. What they've done in Call of Duty and picking your weapon and picking your, your add-ons and picking your, your setup for your weapon, it's the same thing in real warfare. When an army goes to war, they choose the weapons that will best help them win the battle and win the war that they're going out to fight. They choose the weapons that are necessary. There's a saying about choosing and bringing the right weapon to battle, and you may be familiar with it. You've heard the saying, you don't bring a knife to a gunfight, right? You've heard that saying? You don't bring a knife to a gunfight. You bring a knife to a gunfight and you'll get mowed down really quick. And there's a famous scene in the Indiana Jones movies, you're familiar with it, where um, this, this kind of Arabian guy comes out there with this big, this big Arabian sword and he's flashing it in front of Indiana Jones and it appears that Indiana Jones has been cornered and he's just doing this whole thing, wielding this sword, and Indy just takes out his gun and shoots him dead and goes on with what he did. And this is, this is a picture of the scene there. So it's a classic scene. It's a classic scene depicting the truth. You don't bring a knife to a gunfight. You don't bring a knife to a gunfight. You don't want to show up to fight a battle, to fight a war with the wrong weapon, with the wrong armaments. You want to be correctly armed for the battle that you're in. And that's exactly what Paul has told us in the book of Ephesians as we've gone through, right? That we're in a spiritual war. It's not a physical battle. And so we need to be armed with the right armaments, the right weapons. In our study of Ephesians, we were commanded, encouraged to put on the armor of God to fight this battle. In another place in the New Testament, a place that we're going to look at tonight, Paul tells us about the correct weapons of this war that we are in, the ones that we should be choosing to fight this battle. He tells us about the weapons, and he tells us what they can do. Amen? So he gives us a weapons comparison for this spiritual battle that we're in. So if we're going to get involved in advanced spiritual warfare, then we need to be ready with the right weapons and the knowledge of how to use them. So we're going to take a look at a few verses here in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 6, and we're going to take a look at this. The first point, if you're taking notes, is this. Choose godly spiritual weapons. Choose godly spiritual weapons. Let's look at it. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. It says this. For though we walk in the flesh... We do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Now Paul here says in verse 3, he, he says, we walk in the flesh. We walk in the flesh. And what he is saying is that we live out this life in our physical bodies. 
He's not denying the reality of the physical flesh that we live in. He's not denying the reality of the fact that you and I woke up this morning and we, we, you know, we, we, we got out of bed and we did everything that we did and we did all that in the flesh. We, we, we brushed our teeth, we had breakfast, we, we walked downstairs, we walked outside. Whatever we did, we're walking out in the flesh. Why? Because we're in a physical body. And Paul is basically saying here, look, in verse 3, for we walk in the flesh. We, walk, we live this life in this physical body, in this tent that he's given. But he makes a distinction. He says, although we live in the flesh, although we walk this life out in the flesh, we do not wage war in the flesh. We do not wage war in the flesh. Our warfare is different. He said it, and I'll remind you of a passage of scripture that we just went through in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6, 12, and you'll see it up on the screen. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly place, places. And so we learned there in Ephesians that we're in a physical battle. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We walk out our lives in, in the flesh, Paul says here in 2 Corinthians. We walk it out in the flesh, but we don't wage war in the flesh. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Now, there are obvious and distinct differences between spiritual weapons and physical weapons, right? I mean, if we were going to sit here and do a weapons comparison between spiritual weapons and physical weapons, it would be pretty obvious. No one needs to be told. No one needs a, a, a weapons comparison in that regard. No one needs to be told the difference between an AK-47 and faith. Amen? Or a physical knife and the word of God, the literal word of God. No one needs to be told the difference between a nuclear bomb and truth, righteousness, and peace. Yeah, there's a big difference, and it's pretty obvious. There, these differences are clear for everyone. But, but, but what I want to get at tonight is, I, 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 here's what I think Paul is showing, and what he's saying here to the Corinthians in chapter 10. I think what Paul wants us to see is the difference, the difference in spiritual weapons, the difference in spiritual weapons, that there are godly spiritual weapons and there are satanic spiritual weapons. You see, we're wrestling not against flesh and blood. We're wrestling against what? All those principalities. And so they're operating with, with, a, with a spiritual weapons as well. But those are satanic spiritual weapons. Those are evil spiritual weapons. And God wants us to take up the godly spiritual weapons. And so it's not a contrast of physical weapons and spiritual weapons. What we need to take a look at tonight is the difference between godly spiritual weapons and satanic spiritual weapons. Now you say satanic. You say, you say satanic and you might say, well, well, isn't that a little strong? No. If it's opposing God, if it's opposing God's ways, if it's ulterior to the things that God has said in his word, then it's satanic. It's against God. It's, the Satan is a word, it's, it's, it's a title that we have given to our adversary, and that's why, because it's a word that means adversary. Satan is the adversary. He's the Satan. And anything that comes against God, anything that is opposed to God, by definition then, is satanic. And so what we want to look at tonight is the difference between godly spiritual weapons and satanic spiritual weapons. There's a difference between holy weapons and worldly weapons. Holy, holy weapons and worldly weapons. Satanic weapons and God's weapons. So if we're going to be involved in advanced spiritual warfare, we need to do a spiritual warfare weapons comparison. And that's what we're going to do tonight, a spiritual warfare weapons comparison. You say, why? Because in verse 4, this is what Paul says. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not worldly. They're not satanic. They are godly, and they are of the Lord. They're holy. So let's look at this spiritual warfare weapons comparison. If God has a weapon, an armament of truth, then the satanic counter weapon, counterpart, would be lies. And so let's look at this, truth versus lies. So you say, well, is, is truth a weapon? Yes, truth is a weapon. It's part of the armor of God that we went through there in Ephesians 6. He said, take up and put on the belt of truth. 
And so, the, so if we're going to take on the armor of God, we've got to take up the spiritual weapon of the truth of God, the truth that is God, and we've got to stand against that, against the spiritual deception of the enemy that is satanic. And the, 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 the enemy came against man right from the beginning with this spiritual weapon. He came against them with a spiritual weapon of lies, of deceit. And this is what he did when he came into the garden and he, and he came to Eve and he came to Adam and he, and, and he spoke that, that deceit, that twisting of scripture, that twisting of God's word. And that's what he comes at it. And so if God has a, an armament of, right, of, of, of truth, the satanic counterpart would be lies. And we've got to be ready with the truth so that we can stand against the lies of the enemy. Our, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Now, if God has an armament of righteousness, the satanic counterpart would be sin. Righteousness versus sin. To do the right thing, what is righteousness? To do the, to do the right thing. To do the thing that pleases God. To walk in the way that, that honors God, that pleases God, to do the right thing. That's righteousness. Right living, doing what is right according to God. And what the enemy wants to do is he wants to get you involved in sin. He wants you to choose sin. He wants you to, to be involved in things that are not pleasing to God. He, he, he comes as an angel of light to deceive. He uses that armament of deception to get you involved in sin, to get you away from right living, to get you away from righteous living. And so you see these, these weapons here, the comparison there. Moving on, if God has an armament of peace, the satanic counterpart is confusion and conflict. You see, peace versus conflict. God told us that we had a weapon of peace. He said, well, I want you to put on the, the shoes of the gospel of peace. That now you have peace with God. That you've been, that, that, that before you were brought, born again, before you were brought into the kingdom of heaven, there, there was actually enmity between you and the Lord. There was a hostility between you and God. Why? Because of your sin. Your sin had caused a hostility between you and the Lord. And, and the Lord Jesus Christ did something about that because he wanted to make peace with you. He wanted you to enjoy peace. And so he came down and he sacrificed himself on a cross so that you could enjoy the peace. It's the peace of the, the gospel shoes of peace. And we're supposed to put them on. Which means we walk around with this armament on our feet. We walk around knowing that we have peace with God. We walk into this thing. You walk into your school. You walk in to your high school, and you walk in, you know, wherever you are, and you see there's, there's people there that, that are not walking in, in, in righteousness, they're not walking in a relationship with God, and therefore they're not walking in the peace of God. And they may, they may have everything else going for them. You know, they may have a, you know, they may have a BMW and an iPhone 6 and whatever, whatever else it is, okay? But they're not walking in the peace of God. And so there's conflict, there's conflict, there's confusion. There's things coming in, in people's families. The enemy comes in. He comes in to bring conflict. He comes in to bring confusion. And, 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 and we have peace. We're supposed to be children of peace. We're supposed to be walking in peace. And we've got to hold on to that peace that we've got and, and make sure we've got that armament firmly in place. Remember, he, he told us, take up the shield of faith. Right? So I've contrasted that. The faith in God versus idolatry. You say, how is that a compare? How is that the, the alternate satanic weapon to faith? Well, faith is trusting in Jesus. Faith is saying, I'm trusting in you. I'm going to worship you with my life. I believe in you, Lord. I believe your word. I trust your word. I believe your gospel that it's true for my life, that you've saved me, that you've set me free. The alternative to that is what the enemy presents as idolatry, is not trusting God, is walking away from God, is walking in your own direction, 
It's possibly getting involved in some type of false worship. And if you're not involved in any false worship, if you're not involved in any kind of crazy thing that's, that's, that's identifiable as false worship, then you're there in what's called self-worship. You put yourself on the throne of your life and any way you stack it up, whether it's false worship or self-worship, however you stack it up, it's idolatry. It's idolatry. And that's why we've got to take up the shield of faith. Be careful. Be careful because the enemy will come in and he wants, he wants nothing more. We talked about this in one of the Bible studies. What is the strategy, the wiles of the enemy to get you involved in false worship or idolatry or self-worship that's ultimately idolatry and going your own way, just like he did. And that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to come at you with this. Whatever it is, idolatry is not trusting God and God alone. The next one is this. Prayer versus man's wisdom. Prayer versus man's wisdom. We were told in God's armor that we were to pray always. Remember last week's study? We were instructed to pray always with all prayer and supplication, praying for the saints that we were to take up that spiritual armament of prayer, the opposite of that would be just relying on man's wisdom, relying on your own ideas, relying on your own intellect. You see, prayer, what is it about? We talked about it last week, the spiritual communication device, the spiritual warfare communication device. What it is is communicating with God. And one of the things we learned last week was prayer is putting yourself in a position where you're asking for God's will to be done in this world and in your life. Your will be done, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So prayer is asking for God's will, for God's wisdom, for God's plan to be done in the world, for God's will, for God's plan to be done in my life, for God's will, for God's plan to be done in every facet of my life, whether it's school, whether it's relationship, men, women, boy, girl, whatever it is, work, career, college, whatever the decision is, we want, we want God's wisdom, we want God's direction, we want God's will to be done in our life. The alternative is man's wisdom. And if you go all the way back to the first chapter of this book that we're looking at, well, not this book, go all the way back to the first book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, and go to chapter 1, and he does a contrast. He, t- he actually contrasts man's wisdom and God's wisdom. And he, and, he, and he talks about God's wisdom actually the world looks on it and calls God's, God's wisdom foolishness. And he says, okay, you want to call it foolishness? Well, God, God's foolishness is wiser than man's wisdom on any given day. And see, listen to me tonight. Listen to me tonight. The temptation is to go with man's wisdom. The temptation is always to say, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to fight with this satanic spiritual weapon, man's wisdom. I'm going to go with this. And for the Christian, we've got to, no, no, we don't. We walk in the world, we walk in the flesh, but we don't wage war in the flesh. We don't wage war in the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. And people get themselves in all kinds of strongholds in their lives because they've taken man's wisdom and they have not, they've not taken things to the, to the Lord in prayer. And they, and they have not submitted themselves to the will of God. And they find themselves with strongholds in their lives. And that's why it's so important. One more, one more. God's word versus your word. God's word versus your word. Remember, we were told to take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, right? We take up the word of God. Now, there's a temptation. Here's a temptation. Follow me. There's a temptation to confuse what faith is in in our day and age, and you hear it coming out of the, the prosperity preachers. Here's what the word of faith, the prosperity preachers preach. They say, you say it and believe it, and God's gonna do it in your life. And that's not the definition of faith in the Bible. You go look at what, what the faith that is credited to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Noah and on and on and Moses is because they believed God's word when he spoke to them. Faith in the Bible is believing what God said, not what you say. 
See, today man has completely twisted this. They say, well, you come up with something. You say something. And believe it. And believe it and believe it and believe it. And God has a word for you. God wants to speak to you. God has a plan for your life. God has a destiny for you. God has a calling on your life that is irrevocable. And that, that, that you're going to need to respond to. Just like Moses was called, he went out, he fled Egypt after he was, you know, he, he, he beat an Egyptian. He saw, he saw his people being mistreated. And, and, and he killed, he killed this, this, this guard, this, this Egyptian. And the next day when he discovered that it wasn't, that it, that, that, that it wasn't in secret, that, that people knew about it, he ran and he fled, and he fled out of Egypt. He, was in the, he grew up in the palace. He grew up, and we're gonna, the movie's coming out here. We'll see how good they do, do, do depicting, depicting the, the, the biblically, right? Okay, so you read it up. Here's your homework. You read up Exodus, the first 20 chapters, all right? That's your, that's your assignment, okay? What's today? The 6th? The movie comes out on the 12th. You, your assignment, you read the first 20 chapters of Exodus, and you text me and let me know when you've done it, all right? But listen, listen, here's, I'm going to tell you the story. I'm going to tell you what happened. Moses fled, and he went out from Egypt. And he met a family, and he met a girl, married a girl, and worked for his father-in-law, taking care of his sheep. Out in the desert. Out in the desert, away from the palaces of Egypt and the, and the delicacies and all that. And the Bible says in Exodus chapter 3 that while Moses was on the backside of the desert, and it actually uses that word, backside, backside, not even on the front side of the desert. You didn't know the desert had a backside. Yeah, the desert has a backside. It's really way back in there. And no matter where you go, you're not going to get away. God is going to find you because his calling upon your life and his plan and his destiny for you is real. And so God, so he saw a bush that was burning and he came over to the bush and God spoke to him from the bush and called him to be a deliverer of Israel, to go to Pharaoh and to, to be that instrument that would, God would use to release the people out of Egyptian bondage. And this is, what, this is what God told Moses. And what did Moses say? He said, no, you got the wrong guy. He said, no, you got the wrong guy, God. Don't you know I can't even speak? And God said, don't, don't be telling me about that. I know, you, I know your tongue. Don't be telling me about your tongue because I made your tongue. I know what you can do, and I know what I've called you to do, and you're going to be the deliverer. And I've said all that to say this, that there's man's wisdom that you can seek for your life, and there's God's plan. There's God's will. There's God's call that he has for you. And don't be like Jonah who ran and had to spend three days in the belly of a fish. Don't be like these others who ran and tried to get away from the calling. But listen, God's word versus your word. Now, the weapons of our warfare. We've just looked at the spiritual weapons. We've looked at the godly ones, and we've looked at the ungodly, the holy and the worldly. And you can see that the weapons of our warfare are not of the carnal sort. They're not carnal. They're not evil. They're not of the flesh. You see, there's a word in the New Testament that talks about flesh, and it's talking about more than just your physical, your skin and your flesh and blood. It's talking about the flesh that is, that is against God, the flesh that, is, that is, has a propensity towards things of sin. And our, and our weapons are not like that. We have godly weapons. We have powerful weapons. 
He says, mighty weapons. Mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. David Gusick, in his commentary, he, 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 he said it like this. The Corinthian Christians tended to rely on and admire carnal weapons for the, for the Christian battle. Instead of the belt of truth, they fought with manipulation and lies. Instead of the breastplate of righteousness, they fought with the image of success. Instead of the shoes of the gospel, they fought with smooth words. Instead of the shield of faith, they fought with the perception of power. Instead of the helmet of salvation, they fought with lording over authority. Instead of the sword of the spirit, they fought with the human schemes and programs. And so we've got to realize that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Now, how do we use our weapons? How do we use our godly spiritual weapons? Well, let's pick it up. Verse 5. It says this. Well, let's pick it up. Verse 4 so we can read it together in context. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Do I still, do I still have your attention? Do I still have your attention? Use your godly spiritual weapons. Use your godly spiritual weapons. The spiritual weapons God gives us to fight this war are powerful. They are mighty. All the weapons are powerful and all the weapons are important. And it seems, though, that Paul zeroes in on a couple. A couple of those weapons that we should use as an example. He uses an example in stating how mighty these weapons are. For instance, we have the spiritual godly weapon of truth. I think truth is the most, I don't know. I want to say it's the most powerful weapon. It's the most important weapon. All, they're all important. I don't think you can categorize them. But just this, this is just me. This is just me. This is like, you know, where Paul says, not, not the Lord, but I, or not I, but the Lord, or whatever he says. You know, it, it, this is not the Lord, but I. Truth. Truth is so important. It's an important weapon of our warfare. Truth is the ultimate weapon because Jesus himself is truth. Amen? That's why I said that. You were wondering where I was going with that. Because Jesus himself, he said, I am the truth. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And so truth is such an important part of this weaponry, this arsenal. He says, I am the truth. Truth is the solution. If you need a solution in your life, truth is the solution. Truth is the solution. What do you mean? Because Jesus said it this way. He said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Therefore, truth is the solution. You got a problem? Truth is the solution. So now what the truth will do, here's what the truth will do. Look at it, verse 5. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. The truth comes against arguments against the knowledge of God. Arguments against the knowledge of God. The word here, argument, in verse 5 is the Greek word uh, logismos. Logismos, and you can almost see the word logic in there. And it means this, a reckoning, a computation, a reasoning, a judgment, a decision. It's an argument. It's a a philosophy. It's a a way of doing something. It's a way of thinking about something. It's an argument. And there's stuff out there that the world is putting out there that is going against, it's going in the direct opposite direction of what God wants for your life. It's an argument against the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God for your life is for you to be saved. He, he went to the cross. He, he, he paid the price. He, went to the, he, went to the, he was dead, buried, and then resurrected for you. The knowledge of God and the knowledge of what God has done on your behalf. And there will be things that will come against that reality in your life. 
arguments, philosophies, ways of thinking. They can be sophisticated, spelled out in philosophy, or they can be somebody on the street corner selling marijuana or whatever else it might be. It can be super sophisticated in the halls of academia, or it could be just out here on the street corner. But it's, but it's an argument that, that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and that reality being that which informs and, 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 and controls your life. And so the weapon of truth will bring down this stronghold. Amen? The weapon of truth in your life will bring down stronghold. Now, don't hate the truth. Young people, don't hate the truth. You, th- you think this is cool? This is cool because it works according to some physical laws. Don't hate the truth. Fall in love with the truth. Fall in love with this. Don't hate the truth. The truth is for you, and the truth is a weapon that you can use, and it will protect you, and it will, it, will, it will pull down strongholds. If you find yourself in a situation where you've got a stronghold in your life, the truth will bring it down. Amen? You've got to seek the truth. You've got to live in truth. Now you say, Charles, come on, come on, we're living in truth. There are people that think they're living in truth and they're living in deceit and they're living in confusion. They're living in, uh, they've made decisions based on man's wisdom and they are in bondage. They're not in freedom. They're not living, they're not living in that knowledge of God. The knowledge of God and the salvation and the freedom and the life to the full, life and life to the full that God promised through Christ is not flowing out into their life because it could be a reason that they don't have truth in their life. They've got deceit. They've got man's wisdom. You've got to test all things. Fall in love with this word and test all things according to this. When you hear somebody say something, when you hear something on TV, when you hear a friend say something, when you hear you see something on Twitter, you see something somewhere, you test it. There's all kinds of stuff I see. There's so many people putting little, you know, it sounds philosophical. It sounds good. It sounds right. And I've read some of them on Facebook and stuff, and I'm like, that's not, that's not correct. That's not, a, that's not biblical. They'll say something about, you know, love or something. I'm like, well, that's not right. They're espousing their arguments. They're out there coming with their thing. That's a, that's a, you got to put your mindset on so that you can recognize that and you can see that for what it is. It's a satanic argument that would come and, and, and want to infiltrate your mind to bring you out of, 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 of where God wants you in your life. Test all things. Seek the truth. Test all things, Paul said. Test all things. See if it lines up with God's truth. See if it lines up. See if it's in tune with the gospel. Right? Right up here we had, you know, the guys on the guitars. Before the, before the, before the service, they tuned their guitar. To make sure, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure how, how in tune it was, but, they, but I saw them, they were tuning their guitars. Why? We, and, and, and to, to, to make sure it's right. And you gotta, when stuff comes along the path, you gotta see if it's in tune with the gospel. Paul goes on, he says, the weapons will bring down, look at that. Verse five, he says, casting down arguments. So we just talked about that. And look at that, and every high thing. Look at that. You, 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 you guys really got to get a Bible. You got to be looking at this. Because <clears throat> I'm, I'm talking about these words and you're missing the words and, and this is what, what I'm talking about, falling in love with though. Here's what's going to happen at South Coast. South Coast is going to go boom for the Lord. when We've got people worshiping, here with their word, wanting to know what high thing means. 
wanting to know what hyphen means. I'm going to tell you what it means. Okay? Casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Back when Satan fell, we have a little record of it in Isaiah chapter 14, and I'm going to go to a verse right in the middle of it. I'm not going to deal with the whole passage, but I'm going to deal with a verse right here, verse 13 of Isaiah 14. And God said to them, he says, for you have said in your heart, and this is what Satan said, I will ascend into heaven and I will exalt my throne. What's exalt? Exalt is to lift up high, right? I will exalt my throne above the stars of God and I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. So what was Satan saying? What was Lucifer saying? He was saying, okay, in the worship of God, even before the creation of man, you can go back and track this down in the Old Testament, there was worship of God, and the worship of God, we see this theme as being on a mountain. The mount of God. The worship of God was on a mountain. And so, look at this. I will sit on the mount of the congregation. So he said, I will sit on the mount of congregation. When did he fall? He fell, he fell before man was created. Correct? Okay, so therefore, there was a mountain somewhere where there was worship of God that he said, I will sit on that mountain. Okay? I will sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. So here's what Satan does. He wants to exalt himself above. He wants to exalt. He wants to be lifted up. He wants to be on the mountain of God, being worshiped as God. So here's what he did in the early part of Genesis. This is good stuff. This is fantastic stuff. If Steven Spielberg made a movie about this, this would blow your more and you'd be lined up at the movie theater with popcorn and skills to see it. Okay? They built a tower of Babel. Now, people think it was a skyscraper. They were trying to get to heaven physically. No, that wasn't what it was about. The tower of Babel was built. It more than likely looked like something like this. In the Sumerian Valley, it was called a ziggurat. It's kind of like a, a pyramid, but it was something like this. And you can see where it had these levels and it went up and you had this little perch. And this is what they made. They made a place where, where, where the God, the king, the emperor, the ruler that was worshipped as God would go up to the top of the perch. And what is this? Satan can't make his own mountains. See, God, you want to worship God because he can make his own mountains. Satan can't make any mountains, so what he does is he has people build mountains like this for him. Fake mountains. This is good stuff. This is better than... You listen to this. You want to get excited about something? You listen to what I'm teaching you right now. Satan makes his false mountains. And it's a whole false system. It's a false worship. It's a high place, right? It's a high thing. And so what the enemy wants to do is exalt all of his stuff above God's stuff. I'm going to exalt my stuff above. I'm going to have my own mountain. I'm going to get all the people of the world worshiping and involved in my system, worship, looking to my, looking to me and looking to my high place. Put the next slide up. Okay, you seen this? This is the system that we're involved in. This is the back of our dollar. Okay? That's not God's eye. That's not God's eye on the back of our dollar. It's a system that represents a high place of the enemy. And unfortunately, this is all there. It's a high place. A pyramid, in other words, is a fake mountain. <laughs> it's, 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 it's Satan getting people to build a mountain for his system. For his system. Now let me tell you how bad it gets here. See this dollar? 
Anybody got a dollar? I don't got no dollar. <clears throat> Thank you. All right, I'll give you this, give you this back in a week. <clears throat> no, I'm just kidding. See this dollar? What's this worth? Nothing. This is a piece of paper that's worthless. And you know why it's worthless? Okay, here's where I'm going with this. This system, this world system, is a Babylonian world system. We're living in Babylon. Okay? When this country was founded, okay, they made, money's been around. They've traced the history of money. What money did was replaced your effort and your work was something that you could hold on to and put in your hand. That you could take into the village and give it to somebody else and they gave you something that they did, that they spent their time and effort on, they spent their life doing. So money is your, it's a representation of your life, of your life. Because you go to some place and you spend an amount of time and when, when you're done at the end of the week, they give you an amount of money, right? And they say, this is how much your time was worth this week. So when this country was founded in 1792, they passed a law in 1792 called the Coinage Act of 1792, okay? So, yes, 1792, the, the country was founded, the declaration was signed in 1776, the Constitution was ratified much later, okay? 89. In 92, they passed the Coinage Act. And in that act, it said that you cannot, we had coins, right? You, and they were, they were made of valuable material, silver, gold. They said if you devalue a coin... You've committed a heinous crime that is punishable by death to devalue a coin, right? Now, why? Why would it, why would it be so harsh for them to say, okay, it's a punishable by death to devalue a coin? Because to, to, take, to devalue a coin was to devalue the representation of someone's life. And that's why it was punishable by death, okay? So here's the, here's the system. Our government right now is making these go down and down and down and down. By the, by the day, by the minute, okay? They're devaluing. Now, Charles, why are you telling all this? Because all this? I'm trying to tell you, you need to know where you're... You're living in Babylon, but you're called to be a Christian. <laughs> okay? So a good book of the Bible to study for you is the book of Daniel. Because Daniel and a bunch of the boys were taken out of Israel, and they were taken to Babylon, and they, and they had to decide that they were going to live for God in Babylon, even though the whole place was in the exact opposite direction of what God wanted for their life. Everything about it. Everything about it. So they had to decide. They had to make a decision. And what I'm trying to tell you tonight is that you have got to stand against the enemy and you've got to stand up for the Lord and take up that armor of Christ. Take up that belt of truth. Take up that breastplate of righteousness. Take up the word of God. Take up the helmet of salvation. Take up the, the shield of faith in this day. Be like Daniel. Be like Daniel who said, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to be in Babylon, but I'm going to live for the Lord. I, I, I'm not going to do the things that, that this Babylonian system they want me to do. I'm not going to. I'm going to live for Jesus. So how do you do it? How do you do it? Look at it. Verse 5. bringing every thought in captivity to the obedience of Christ. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Now here's the decision that you have every day. What we have before us 
The choice that we have before us every day that we live is the same choice that Adam and Eve had in the Garden of Eden. There was a tree of life. You notice if you read the first, if you read the first two chapters of Genesis, they were never told they couldn't eat the tree of life. And so the inference is there that they were free to eat of it. In fact, what God did was he blocked the way to the garden after they sinned and ate the other tree so that they wouldn't no longer eat the, other, the tree of life because he did not want them to live physically forever in the spiritual death that they brought upon themselves. So here's the point. You and I, every day, we have the same choice. There's life and death before us. And we've got to choose life. We've got to choose life. We've got to bring every thought when it comes in, every thought, what Paul's saying here, here's what you got to do. You've got to bring it into the, you've got to take it captive. You've got, you got that thought comes into your mind. You take it captive and you make it obedient to your, your master, your Lord. You make it obedient. You take it captive and you make it obedient to the Lord. You've got that choice. And so that's what you've got to do. You have that decision. And let me tell you, if, if you're not putting on the armaments, the armor of God, if you're not daily taking out that armaments of God to involve yourself in the advanced spiritual warfare, when you come up to that choice, to choose life and to choose death. To choose life is going to be a lot harder for you. The deception of the enemy is going to be, be able to be used against you. The deception of the enemy. And I don't even have to go into, I could go into countless, countless examples of Christians today that are telling, that are trying to tell the world that a whole host of stuff that's absolutely against God's word is okay. With God. <laughs> so they're not, they're not, they're not taking up this book, they're not taking up the armaments of God. And they're, they're falling prey to the deception of the enemy. And if there's anything that I could tell you, if there's anything that I could wish for you, is to take up the armor of God. Take up the armaments of God so that you can stand and that you can choose life and that you can live. And you can live for the Lord. And God, God is right there with you. He wants to help you. He wants to be with you. He wants to see you through. But you have got to choose. Okay? Let's close it off with this last verse, verse 6. And he says, being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Now, I'm not going to really deal with that phrase and being ready to punish, because what that's talking about, Paul is borrowing from a Roman military terminology there, and he's talking about coming into the church and bringing order and punishment and discipline where, where it's needed when people have not been willing to take the thoughts captive. And so now we're going to have to come in and we're going to have to add some pastoral discipline to the situation. But what I want to close with is the last verse there where he says, when your obedience is fulfilled. Because what it is, is it's, it's, it's up to you. It's your obedience. You have, you have that choice. You have to choose. I, I want to follow the Lord. I want to obey God. I'm, I'm not talking about a matter of salvation here. I'm not talking about whether you're saved or not. I'm talking about whether you want to take up the armor of God and fight the good fight. And make that decision for yourself. Amen? Amen. God has given us some awesome weapons for our warfare. Powerful, mighty Spiritual, godly, holy. But we've got to take them up. And we've got to use them. Amen?
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for tonight, Lord. We thank you, Lord. I pray that, Lord, your word goes forth, Lord. And, Lord, as, as your word tells us, that your word will not return void, but it will accomplish the purpose for which it has been sent forth. And so, Lord, I pray, God, that the word tonight that has been sent forth, Lord, that it would accomplish the purpose, God, that you have in it for each and every one of our lives, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? And I want to do something... um, Darren's going to just lead us in a chorus here in a second, but I want, I want you to stand with me, and I want to, I want to, I want to just close by, by inviting you to make, to make that decision of obedience tonight for your life. I want to invite you to make that decision. I know that this generation is dealing with a lot of distraction. I didn't have the distraction. I mean, thank God. I mean, we didn't have the Internet when I was 15. We didn't have the Internet. We didn't have cell phones. We didn't, you know, they they, they had some of the young people trying to do a, um, a protest the other night in one of the protests. And they, and they called it, they had a die-in where they all went and laid in the, in the middle of the street and they were all trying to be dead. And they got video of the, and, and, the, and the thing that caught my attention was they were trying to do a die-in, but they were, they were, over, they were, they were over there like this, you know. The, the, the young people could not, they, they could not even do the die-in. They had, to, they had to keep checking their phones. Technology, whatever it is, I'm talking to you straight tonight. You got to make the decision. You got to make that decision to allow your obedience to be fulfilled. And that decision is up to you.